Hello and welcome everyone. I am Kale Flegge and this is the Made in Gainesville podcast. On this show, you'll hear stories and get insights from business owners and leaders from across the nation that have ties to Gainesville. On this episode, we'll hear from Joe Cerulli, founder of Gainesville Health and Fitness Center. Joe began his journey with 12 cents to his name, sleeping both in his car and in the gyms he worked at. In 1978, he managed to open his own gym with just a few thousand dollars. Since then, he has grown multiple facilities to over 130,000 square feet with nearly 500 employees, servicing 28,000 members. Joe will share his startup story along with his motivational techniques that pushed him through difficult times, including a time where he almost crashed his airplane in the middle of the night as a hurricane approached Florida. Enjoy! What is the greatest lesson that you learned from your father? Well, I learned lots of lessons from my father, but I think probably the best lesson I ever learned from him was to work hard and to always work hard. And uh, he was a great example of it. His whole life, if I think of my father, I think of a man who worked hard on everything he did. And I'm not just talking about... uh, like books and stuff. When I say books, I mean like financial books and stuff, like things he helped me with in that world, but even physical work. He uh, he laid a great he laid a great foundation, you know, for me, and also a person who took great responsibility for everything that he did, and and somebody who who kept his word always. He kept his word, and. Um, you know, I've said there's a, there's a lot of things. I mean, he was a great protector. I can still remember many events when we were all young kids because, I mean, there were seven kids in my family. So I remember my father as a great protector of all of us, too. So lots of, lots of great things. And I had a great mother, too. So uh, And she worked for me for a while. So I was very lucky to have uh, both of them. Why did you start Gainesville Health and Fitness Center? Well, I, I never meant to. I only came down to Gainesville to visit somebody once for 30 days, and that became 60 days, and that became 90 more days. And and uh, the the great opportunity that I had, and sometimes I think with most things, all of a sudden something's put in front of you, and you think, wow, this is really great. And so when I first came to Gainesville to visit somebody from upstate New York for the 30 days, I needed a place to work out. And she had a brother who lived here who was a member of what was called the Steve Spurrier Health Spa. And I went, I asked the bro, you know, her brother if I could go with him to work out. And, and uh, I did. And when I was done, I went to the manager and I said, look, I'm only here for 30 days. I don't have any money to pay you to work out. I was 19. And I said, but I'd be willing to work for free if you'd let me work out for free. And that lasted for 30 days. Then I decided to stay for 30 more. And and um, I asked him, I, well, I told him I wanted to be paid for the next 30. And I was put on the payroll. For, I remember it was a buck 90 an hour. And uh, went home for Christmas, get ready to go back to work to save money to go back to college. And it was too freezing cold to go back to New York. So... The, uh, for the, to go back to work with the mason that I work with. And he said, why don't you go back to that Gainesville place for 90 more days and come back, and then we'll be able to get to work. And and I did, and all of a sudden during that next 90 days, I realized I really like doing this. I And my, my main job was to help people work out and to talk to people about getting started working out. And, and I realized, I, I had when I say I had a natural inclination for it, 
It's a, I mean, I've been doing it my whole life. Even though I was 19, I started lifting weights when I was nine. I started exercising in front of the television to a guy named Jack LaLanne when I was seven. And so it was a natural for me. And there were a series of clubs that I worked for that went bankrupt. But I said, no, I'm going to stay in this. I'm, I learned a lot more now. I, I know a year's worth now than I knew a year a year ago. And if I get out of it now because they went bankrupt, I'll lose that knowledge I gained and uh, go to work for another one. They go bankrupt. Where I was fortunate again was when I was uh, 21, and I picked up a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I read the book, and it kept talking about in order to be successful, you had to know the secret. The secret was you had to know what you wanted out of your life. And when I was finished, uh, I took a notepad, and I started writing down things that I wanted in my life. And the first thing I wrote down was I'll own my own health club in Gainesville, Florida, so no one's ever going to tell me where I'm going to live. Because I like Gainesville. I had already had to live in uh, Cocoa Beach. I had already had to live in uh, in St. Petersburg, you know, to find work, you know, in the industry. And so when I was 21, I had a pretty clear picture of what it was. I had an idea of what I wanted it to be like. And then eventually, when I was 24 and the sixth health club I worked for went bankrupt, uh, I figured now maybe is my time because I was still reading my list all the time. And I decided I was going to start my own at that point. So that was really the beginning. Once you decided that you wanted to start the health club, what were the steps that you took to get it going? Well, I would never any recommend anybody follow the steps I had to get to go get going because, uh, you know, I was 24 and a half in a town where six health clubs had gone bankrupt. And so the banks weren't really willing to give you money to build a health club. And um, so actually I started a health club with with no money. I found a location. Uh, I sketched it out. When I say I sketched it out on a piece of paper, I sketched it out on a piece of paper because I didn't have time between when I got a lease and when I had to start building to move from the old location to the new location. Um, I hired uh, electricians, carpenters, air conditioning people. I hired everybody to build a place. And I had $1,700 to pay them. And uh, But I, I, I learned from experience that I could advertise but not have to pay for the advertising for 30 days. So I advertised like crazy. And somehow every week I was able to bring in enough money to keep me paying those guys to go for another week. And that was the beginning, you know, of my, of my business. And, and uh, it took about six months to finish the actual physical location. But I had already had people working in there for about... Uh, five of those six months um, without a certificate of occupancy. You but mean working out in there? Work, oh, I had to have them working out in there because right. if I didn't have them working out there, they were going to be paying the money for me to build the place. So I was really caught in a in a quandary. But uh, at the end of that year, which was 1978, closed at Christmas time, finished building the whole place in January. I had the city building inspector come in, do the inspection, and I got my certificate of occupancy. So that was the beginning. And then from there on out, it never stopped growing, ever. Whenever I had extra money, whenever I saved money, uh, I would find a way to just get more equipment, expand the facilities, and keep growing. And that's been a constant process since uh, 1978 when I opened the first club. Now you said you don't recommend anybody following that path, but could you see it as maybe being advantageous? Because you had people in there working out from the beginning, you were able to get feedback from those people so instead of investing you know a ton of money up front and something that might not be good for customers you're able to get feedback from them in real time 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> the good part is I knew what I was doing. Um, when I say I don't recommend it, I wouldn't recommend you go out and start a whole business where you got to spend tens of thousands of dollars to build something and you have no money to pay anybody. Um, somehow I was able to do it. But once again, remember I told you in the beginning, I worked for six health clubs that went bankrupt. I got to learn a lot by watching those clubs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, so, but I also believed in myself 100%. I also knew, and this is where I was fortunate too, was there, was there wasn't like a second place thing that I would do if the first place thing didn't work. So I had no other options. There were no other options in my mind. So I was gonna make it work because there was no second choice to go to. So I think a, a lot of people, they make the mistake of having a second choice. So when the first thing isn't working out or the first thing is just as hard as can be and they drop out of it to go to the second choice, there was no second choice. So made it, it made the choices real easy. It had to work. It's interesting that you say that. Um, businesses are known to have a very high failure rate. And uh, I feel like there are several points you know, in your starting the business that you could have been another failure statistic, but you managed to find ways out of those difficult situations. How often do you think that business failure is avoidable and the reason why it fails is because people do have that second choice option and they decide to take that easier route? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons why. First, having a second choice will stop you from really ever making the first choice successful. Because if you have some big goal in mind and it's big, it's going to be hard. And when it gets real hard, some people just let the let the the take a defeatist attitude like I can't make this work I can't make this work and mine was I have no choice you know I have to make it I have to make it work because you get you have to understand too that when I say there was nothing else I wanted to do I mean you gotta understand but doing this for 45 years right I mean how many people can do something for 45 years and still go to work every day and still love what you're doing you know so there was some when I say special gift I was given I was given a special gift and that was to love what it is I do. And when I say love what it is I do, I love pe watching and helping people exercise. I love giving them a place where they can do it. I love giving them a place where they can feel comfortable, where they can make friends and want to keep, keep coming back to. The other thing where I was really fortunate was as I started learning business, because I never took a business course, as I started learning business and putting these things together and, and reading books and getting better, more ideas and better ideas, I realized I really like business too. And then I thought, who could be more fortunate than to be in the business of something they actually love doing? not just being in business because I'm looking at it as my livelihood. It's more than that. I mean, it's really my life. It's what I do. And I still care whether or not if you're in the gym, you're going to do, you're doing things right and you're going to get the best results you can possibly get. I still care, you know, about all those things. And I also care about the development of all the people who work for me, that they become the absolute best they can become, you know, at what they do. So I've been, like I said, lucky all the way around no second choices. What advice can you give to a business owner now that could be facing a difficult situation? Well, once again, if you know that's what you want, then you just deal with the difficult situations. You know, it's really easy for people to talk you out of it. 
when it gets real difficult. You'll have people who will always be telling you, well, it's really challenging and not many people make it and, and all this other stuff. But, you know, I just know for myself, I mean, I lived in closed down buildings. I lived in health clubs I worked in because I had no place to live. I remember living in my car because I had no money, but I never got out. <laughs> I never got out. I can remember one time when my father was up in New York and and I was I had to move to uh, St. Petersburg to work in a health club. And I was living in my I had my blanket, and my alarm clock underneath the lo- the couch in the lobby because that's where I slept at night. And uh, I remember I called my father one time, and, and he goes, well, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in St. Petersburg. He goes, what are you doing down there? I said, well, the health club in Gainesville closed down. And I remember he said to me, just get out of that damn business. He goes, all it does is cause you a heartache. And I said, um, thanks, Dad. And I said, I'll talk to you later. And I hung up the phone. And I wasn't mad at him because I knew that any parent would make you want you know, to get out of something that was causing you pain. It's just like I can remember when I got down to my last 12 cents and I went into a McDonald's to buy a small Diet Coke and it was 16 cents. And I reached in my pocket, it was 12 cents. That's all the money I had. And uh, I remember, uh, because this is something else I've learned too. uh, I remember walking out of that McDonald's, looking up at the sky and thanking God for everything that had happened to me. I thanked them for being completely broke. I thanked them for living in my car. I thanked them for all the people who were involved in the previous health club that caused all of these things to help put me in the situation I was in. I thank God for it. And the reason why I thanked them was because I said, I'll never, I'll never let this happen to me again. I will take total control of, of everything that I do, including saving money, so I didn't have to be broke. And um, so there's always those moments, but it's 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 the matter of being of appreciating like the toughest things that you go through, not getting angry about them, not being mad at anybody about them. But I I can still tell you all the people who are involved because I remember thanking thanking God for every one of those people because without them I would have never been where I was at that moment in time. So there's like lots of things that occur in your life, you just have to know that what it is you want to accomplish is bigger than the challenges that you're going through and knowing that you can work your way through those. And, uh, and, and also something I was really good at and I still am is whenever you feel bad about yourself or anything, just look around, see some of the other people in the world, see the challenges they're going through and you'll realize you don't even have a challenge as compared to so many people. And uh, I've always had, I've always taken that on. If there was ever a moment in time where I was, quote, to start feeling sorry for myself, I'd just drive somewhere and look at some other people. I, I can remember once I nailed a nerve in my back and I had pain going down my right leg for every step I took for eight months. Every step I took, pain shooting down my leg. And, and I remembered I went to the rehab center and I, not, not for me, but to my own rehab center and I opened up the door and there was a guy coming out the door in crutches and one leg. And I remember looking at him thinking, I wish, I bet he wishes he had pain shooting down his leg. You know, so you just have to find those things that you realize no matter what you're going through, somebody is going through something much, much worse and they're making it through it and you can make it through whatever it is you're going through. You said your dad, when you're in St. Petersburg, you said that he you know, told you that business caused you nothing but heartache. Um, at what point did you feel like the business was successful and that you made it. 
oh, I never look at it that way. I still don't. <laughs> I still look at it. We got to make it every single day. Yeah, no, I've never, I've never got to the point where I'm complacent, you know, on anything. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I read lots and lots of books on how to think. I mean, for years and years and years, so I read books on how to think, and and I read lots of quotes, and I remember going through all those quotes and sticking those quotes in my, you know, in my brain, and uh, a lot of them had to do with success. And I can remember uh, reading a quote that said, success is a course, it's not a destination. So you never get there. So I even knew when I was living in my car, I remember saying to myself, you know, I know if anybody saw me living in a car, they'll think I'm a bum. I'm not a bum because I know where I'm going. And I give another example. And that was I worked for a couple people and, um, and two business partners, and one of them was just, dishonest but she was very successful but when I was 24 I sat down with somebody who was very successful in all aspects of his life he was a good person and everything and financially strong business strong and um, I said to him I don't understand she really is I think she's dishonest really dishonest but she's successful and I remember he looked at me and remember I'm 24 at the time he goes no Joe she's got money She's not successful. And later on, I realized how she made her money, which was very dishonest. And, 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 and it, helped, it helped to bring the point back home of success as a course, not a destination. Because you could look at somebody and think, boy, they're just so successful because they got all the, quote, accolades of success. But the course they're on ain't the course for success. You can find somebody, as I was thinking about myself when I was living in my car, I'm living in my car. I know what I look like, but that's not who I am because I know where I'm going. So the difference with success is that you know where you're going and you determine where it is you're going and you're working on getting there. And that's why you could sit down with somebody who has nothing, but they have dreams and you can listen to them and you'll know this person's going to make it. And I've seen that happen many times in my life. You said you had made a list of 10 things when you were younger of things that you wanted to accomplish, and I believe you accomplished all of them. What was the most difficult thing on that list for you to, for you to accomplish? The first thing was the um, having my own health club, so that was a challenge. But I think the one thing that made me realize I could do anything on that list was the, um, the third or fourth thing, I think the third thing. I wrote down that by the time I'm 25 years old, remember I was 21, I remember I worked for all these clubs that went bankrupt. I said, by the time I'm 25 years old, I will make $100,000. So I read my list. Remember, I read my, li- I read my list every night and every morning. Relent- I mean, just relentlessly. Every night, every morning, I read my list. And when I was 21, I made about $10,000. When I was 22, I made about $10,500. When I was 23, I made $11,000. But I'm still reading my list, and I'm looking $100,000. That's like just a little over a year away. And I actually put a line through it, and I put 60000 I didn't know how I was going to do that either. But anyway, I continued to keep working. And when I was 24 and a half, the health club went bankrupt. And, and I mean, to put it in perspective, I was able to get a loan for $6,700. But I had to give um, $3,800 of it 
for the new lease, I had to give $1,200 to get three more weeks at the place that was being kicked out. That's how I ended up with the $1,700. Okay, that's how I that's how I got that money. But when I was uh, 24 and a half and I started the club uh, and putting every single penny and working 18 hours a day to make this thing happen, I really didn't have a chance to read my list because there wasn't much of a difference between waking up and going to bed. They were pretty close together at that point. And, um, but the day that I turned 26 years old, I had exactly $100,000 in my savings account. Exactly. And I looked at that thing, I said, it wasn't 99, it wasn't 101, it was the exact number I wrote down. And when I saw that, I said, I can do anything I set my mind to. The next thing that went through my head was, everything I've ever read about this stuff is true. What the, quote, masters would say about you know, living a life towards success, the way you have to think, the way you have to work, the way you have to deal with difficult situations, I said, it's all true. So there was really nothing that was hard on that list. Uh, the, some of the ironies to it was one of the things I put on the list was I'll travel all over America, then I put I'll travel all over the world. The one thing I didn't realize was that I would be asked to go all over the world to speak to different organizations, and it would be paid for all over the world. I, that was the one thing I never, I never counted on. But there was something else that I, I learned, too, from the reading. When I read about real, real successful people, they said, become great at one thing, and it'll open the door to many things. And I understood that. So I totally, 100% focused on my clubs just to make them the absolute best I could make them. And I'm still working on doing that, you know, all the time. So those were some of the things. And like I said, getting that list and hitting that list was just the result of all the other stuff, you know, that, that started with starting my own health club. One of the items on the list was owning an airplane. Uh, you reached that goal, but I understand you faced some adversity with that airplane when a battery exploded at altitude, I believe? Yeah, you know, the way you become a good pilot is by facing challenging situations. And what's always interesting, because it's not only the same and uh, true in an airplane, but it's true in, in life. And that is when you face a real difficult challenge, how do you react to it? And um, I think I reacted to that the same way I react, react to everything, which is I just think first before I act. So what you're referring to is... Um, it was back actually in 2004, 2005, 2005, I think. And we were having hurricanes like every other weekend. And uh, I had flown down to Tampa on a particular, fr well, it was a Friday night. And there was another hurricane that was heading towards the uh, West Coast, and, or excuse me, toward the East Coast. And it was 1230 at night, and I went down there to go to dinner and uh, movies with a friend of mine. So after she dropped me back off at the airport, I got in the airplane, once again, 12.30 in the morning, and I started my engine. Everything was okay. And I departed Tampa. And about 10 miles outside of Tampa, I heard an explosion. I didn't know what it was, you know, at the time. But everything on my airplane went dead, except for my engine. But I had no communication, no instruments, no nothing. And I had a uh, I had a flashlight. That's all that I had it was a small flashlight. Good thing it was a small flashlight too, because now I have to think. Okay, what do I do? 
Well, I knew I didn't want to turn around and go back into Tampa International Airport. The reason why is as I was departing, all the jets, helicopters, small planes, everybody was coming in from the East Coast to get into Tampa to be away from where the hurricane, you know, was going to hit. So I knew going into Tampa wasn't going to be a good thing with a with a flashlight in my mouth because that's where I had to put it. Um, no communication, no lights, no nothing going into where all these planes are coming in. So I decided that, I said, look, if I just keep going to the east, I should be able to see cars on I-75. And I could travel up I-75 for 40 minutes. And then I should see the, the rotating beacon of the Gainesville airport to my right. That was my thinking on it. And um, the reason why I was going to fly all the way back to Gainesville was because if you go from Tampa all the way to Gainesville, every airport is closed. Now that doesn't mean you can't land on it. You can land on you can land on it. And uh, the problem is, in order to be able to turn the lights on, you have to know what airport you're at. You have to know what the frequency is, and your radio has to work. And I had none of those things. So um, I'm going and going and realized I may have just crossed I-75. If I crossed I-75, I'm going into a military area. And I thought that may not be too cool. So I said, let me just turn back. So I turned to the west. <clears throat> and I, I realized I probably couldn't see I-75 because it may have been under a cloud layer. So I go back to the west. Now I decide I'm going to look for lights. Because if I can see lights, it means there's a city. If there's a city, there's got to be an airport. If there's an airport, maybe I can see the runways because I can't light them up, but I can maybe see them. So I'd see lights. I'd see a rotating beacon of an airport I'd go down but I couldn't make out where the runways were so I'd climb back out and just start heading north I zigzag you know east west north looking for something and uh, I continued on for a total of almost three hours and I had about 45 minutes left of fuel and I saw some lights I saw something, it looked like either a road or possibly a runway that I could make out. I circled it three times, but I thought it's too dangerous. So I decided to go. So I start going to the, um, to the west, and now all of a sudden I look out and it's pitch black. There is not a light anywhere, and I realize I'm out over the Gulf of Mexico. So I made a 180 degree turn, and I mean, I'm out, I looked at my heading when I left, I went out, made a 180 degree turn and I decided to land on whatever that thing was because I was going to run out of fuel pretty soon so um, I'm doing everything I can to set the approach which includes on my plane is uh, manually lowering the gear which I've never had to manually lower it in a situation like that especially when I had to steer the airplane duck my whole body down low put my hand behind the seat and start cranking a handle that you had to turn it about 60 times and Everyone was a quarter turn. I can remember I'm working on lowering my landing gear, and the only thought that went through my mind was, thank God I work out. I said, because I don't know how the next guy's going to get those things down if he, has to, if he has to. So I got the landing gear done. I lined up on that, whatever that thing was that was down there, and right as I was making the approach, the lights turned on, and it was a runway. When I landed, I came off the runway, and there were six cop cars there. And I got out on the wing, and I said, where am I? And they said, Cross City. And uh, I said, man, I didn't even know you guys had six cop cars over here. And it was, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. And um, 
So they put air traffic control on the phone, and what had happened was because I had filed an instrument flight plan coming out of Tampa, um, they knew they lost me. And the air traffic controller in Jacksonville said, I saw a plane circle three times, leave, and then come back. And she said, I figured it was you. So from Jacksonville, she turned on the lights of the airport in uh, Cross City. Wow. And that's how, I, that's how that night came to a to an end and and it was kind of interesting because the next day I, I had a book on my desk and I opened up the book and once again there was a quote on it quote on every page in the top page um, of this particular page I just opened up to it, it says um, circumstance don't make the man it reveals him to himself and I, I said to myself I did okay you know I didn't to, to, I stayed totally focused I looked at what I had to do I didn't. Uh, I didn't let myself get scared. I didn't let myself think, "What if?" I just focused on finding a place to land, and I found a place to land. But the same, same rules apply in business. They apply in life. You know, when you come up against a real difficult situation, you know, you just have to focus on how do you solve that that moment in time. And that's what I did. Plus, you know, you have to be able to change too. As you're making, you make plans. Sometimes, like the plan was to go back to Tampa. Then it was, nope, that's not the plan. That ain't going to work. The plan was to find I-75. Nope, that didn't work. I'm gonna have to find another plan. But the thing is, you have to be able to adapt, but keep moving forward, and never become, never become like caught in the situation you're in where you can't act. And um, so that was something I just kind of learned. Getting back to the uh, the fitness center, how have you survived and stamp out stamped out big chain competition? Well, we we have some. I mean, we have the Planet Fitnesses. We have the UFITs. I mean, obviously, the first big one was the University of Florida building their humongous facilities. Um, I don't think I can really control that, other than. We just focus on becoming the absolute best we can become. Now, one of the things that I always did, um, and, and some things you do out of fear, but fear can be a good motivator, and that was how do I keep growing? How do I keep making it better? How to make it bigger? How to make it better? How to make it bigger? How to make it better? How do we, how do, we do better in customer service? All of those things. So we look at every opportunity that we have, which all goes back to success as a course. It's not a destination. It's not like, well, we're there and we don't have to worry about this anymore. I picture it like the next guy's going to come in and he's going to try and take our business. So how do we become better than that? You know, so that we don't make we don't become an easy target. You know, I'd imagine if I was, uh, if you know, some big chains don't care, right? They're just going to come in, but some others may look and say, you know, he's a pretty strong competitor. You know, he's not just going to roll over. That if you if you were a bigger chain and you were looking at, you may look at what cities can we go into that are easy. You know, because the the people in the health clubs there aren't taking care of them. You know, their customer service isn't good. And even though the big chains, a big part of the thing is in customer service, it's facilities, right? So they'll build a nice facility. They're not going to spend a whole bunch of money on payroll. All right, now we spend a pretty good amount on payroll because I know I can't help a lot of people if we don't have the people there to help. You know, I can't keep the facilities clean if we don't have enough people on our cleaning staff. I can't keep the club really well maintained if I don't have enough good people on my maintenance, you know, staff. So I look at all those things as investments versus just playing out expenses. 
most clubs these days just look at a, as human beings as an expense and everything is how do we get rid of more more human beings my goal is to make sure we have the right number of people and that they're the right people and um, so those are the things that that we focus on and if it keeps the big guys away um, so be it but we'll keep working on becoming better you mentioned that you're a big fan of motivational authors and speakers um, I know you have several quotes on the walls of the gym. Um, can you make any recommendations uh, for people to follow or read? Well, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of great ones. The, the people that inspired me, probably the very first one, was a guy by the name of Earl Nightingale. And if you, even, if you go to YouTube and put in Earl Nightingale, Listen to anything he says, <laughs> anything he says. Because even if you listen to the, quote, present day motivational speakers, there is nothing that Earl Nightingale didn't say a long time ago. As a matter of fact, he started a company called Nightingale Conant back in the 50s. And um, their whole concept was we're gonna create tapes where you can learn, where you could get a college education driving in your car. and most of everything Earl Nightingale talks is inspirational. But the great thing about it is it inspires you to think. And you'll get a lot of really cool and great ideas. And, and what was interesting was I used to listen to him when I was in my 20s, right? That's when I listened to him all the time. And then about, I don't know, four or five years ago, I was up at one of the Finger Lakes up in upstate New York. And I got up early, and I was going for a, a walk, you know, by the lake. And and I thought, hmm, let me let me pull up Earl Nightingale. And I started listening to him again. The same things I listened to him when I was in my 20s. And all of a sudden, I started getting new and different ideas, you know, because it the ideas that you get are usually based upon where you are in your time, you know, in your time of your life. At later times in your life. You'll hear the same message, but it'll spark new ideas and different ideas. So Earl Nightingale was a huge one. Another one was a guy by the name of Dennis Waitley. Um, I had listened and read so many books about winning, about a winning attitude and all. And, and when I heard about this Dennis Waitley, I bought a series of his tapes at that time called The Psychology of Winning. And um, I started listening to those. And he started to help me understand how everything worked. How when you start putting these thoughts in your mind, how a, a comment he made, I remember he said, he goes, you can't move away from what you're thinking. You're always moving in the direction of your dominant thoughts. And I thought, that's right. So the cool thing is you can put those dominant thoughts in your head, right? And you make them all good thoughts. And you make them goal-oriented thoughts. And you keep reminding yourself over and over and over. And then after a while, everything you start doing is moving you the direction of those things. And then what starts happening is uh, this thing they call serendipity, right? You start focusing on something, then all of a sudden, all these other things start appearing that start helping you, you know, with those things. So, uh, so Dennis Waitley, uh, Earl Nightingale, there was another guy I used to listen to, his name was Michael Vance, V-A-N-C-E, and he was the president of Disney University, talking about creativity. Lots of ideas. As a matter of fact, I got so inspired by him, I bought my first office so I could have a conference room, like this, 
so I could sit down with a group of people and talk. And um, so those things have, you know, have stuck with me, you know, my whole life. I mean, as I, you know, as life evolved and I started focusing on, on not just, quote, the power inside my brain, but on business. And, um, you know, I started reading books, you know, all the time. And, uh, you know, I started reading articles from the Harvard Business Review, books like uh, Good to Great and Great by Choice and, and book after book after book after book. Rarely would I go a time without reading a book um, that was something that was in the area I wanted to learn, whether it was on business, whether it was on leadership, whether it was on finance, so I could become better educated, you know, in all of those, in all of those areas. And um, it still hasn't ended. As a matter of fact, the we just got done with six years of remodeling the health club and it was based on a book that i read <clears throat> about department stores who would ever think you read a book on department stores to help you with your health club but it gave me all kinds of cool ideas and then um i know this moves away from the exact question you asked me but but uh when i talk about serendipity when you start reading and focusing on learning stuff so I pick up this book called The New Rules of Retail. It's talking about all the challenges department stores were having. And this was back in 2011. And I'm, I'm reading it and I'm going, these are the same challenges health clubs are going to have. So I have a really great architect uh, out of, uh, out of uh, New York. He's right outside of New York City. His name is Rudy Fabiano. He's very creative and a great architect. And um, I said, Rudy, do me a favor. I said, go into New York City, go into the new Bloomingdale's, but walk around the Bloomingdale's not looking at it like it's a department store. Look at it like it's a gigantic health club and tell me what you see. And he calls me back and goes, it was very interesting. He was looking at different lighting things. He was looking at different things related to tile, how it was working. And um, so he goes, let me start getting some ideas down. Well, I was asked to speak in London and I was in London for an entire week. And I spoke a lot, but I wasn't speaking every day. And one day I was walking down the street and I see this department store and it's called Selfridges. And I thought, well, let me take a walk, see what this looks like. I was in that department store for six hours. I took pictures of everything. Everything I imagined from reading the book, I saw inside of that store. And it totally clarified in my mind you know, what it was that I wanted, how I wanted the health club to evolve. But once again, serendipity, you walk down the street, I could have probably walked past that department store if I hadn't read the book. But I go in the department store, totally amazed by this store. Uh, I called Rudy. I said, Rudy, I think the guy who wrote that book must have been sitting in this department store when he wrote that book. It was everything that I, I imagined. And then I come home. What do you think is on PBS? The Secret of Selfridges the entire history of the store. Now, do you think if I didn't read the book, if I didn't go in the Selfridges, I would have ever noticed on PBS they were having the secret of Selfridges? And so anyway, I, I watched it and then I ordered the DVD. And I said, Rudy, I'm having it sent to you so you'll really understand You know what I saw. So he took it and it clarified for him. And I mean, even to give you an example, uh, you know, Butler, Butler Enterprises, right? Everything they're doing at Butler. Uh, I got an extra copy for Deborah Butler, and Deborah Butler comes to my facilities. And I said, Deborah, I got something I want you to watch. I said, I think it'll help you with everything you're developing. 
out there because this was years ago. And um, later when I saw her again, I said, Deborah, did you get a chance to watch it? She goes, watch it. She goes, I make everybody in my company watch it. She goes, our place is going to be like suffrages when we're done. You know, so it's just funny, this one little thing from one little book that somebody had mentioned to me, to reading the book, to the seren the, the seeing, going into Selfridges, to the DVD, to going to the architect, and uh, six years later and $13 million, we're done <laughs> with all the changes we wanted to make based upon that one book. So that's how things evolve. Joe, thank you for coming on the show. Mm-hmm.